The Bible reading today is from Matthew chapter 9, verse 9 to 13. It's about the calling of Matthew. As Jesus went on from there, he saw a man named Matthew sitting at the tax collector's booth. Follow me, he told him. And Matthew got up and followed him. While Jesus was having dinner at Matthew's house, many tax collectors and sinners came and ate with him and his disciples. When the Pharisees saw this, they asked his disciples, Why does your teacher sit with the tax collectors, I mean, eat with the tax collectors and sinners? On hearing this, Jesus said, It is not the healthy who need a doctor, but the sick. But go and learn what this means. I desire mercy, not sacrifice. For I have not come to call the righteous, but the sinners. Thank you. Thanks, Pat. Appreciate that. Well, we've um, been going through our series on bless, and that we are first blessed that we may be a blessing to others. And we started off the series just with an overview, thinking about how Abraham was blessed and the blessing came beyond and through to uh, the nations. And a couple of weeks ago, we said, where does our rhythmical blessing start? Our mission of our rhythm of mission start. And we said it started with uh, prayer. It begins with prayer. B begins with prayer. Then last week, we started to listen a little bit. Listening to God. What's God saying as we pray? Who's God leading us to? Seeking out what God's doing in, in that space. And then uh, we said also we want to pray, uh, to, to not just pray, to listen to those people around us. We've been praying for people and maybe just listen to those that are around us as well. And today we have got, uh, this, is, this is probably my favourite out of the five uh, <laughs> rhythms, <It's> eat, <laughs> it works well. Uh, but before I get into that, last week I, I made a confession that uh, I... I, didn't, I, didn't, I was praying that God would give me a story to share with you. you know, I was praying for that. And so I had to repent of that, and I, I did. I said sorry. I, 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 got, I got it wrong, and I, I had to say sorry. But I got home, and Solari goes, there was a story. What, you forgot. And I went, oh, yeah, I did. And, and what we did that Sunday was Mother's Day. And so we took some, some plants. Solari had bought some plants. We took some plants to our neighbours. We got two neighbours. Uh, th- there's three of us in, a, in the, the lot. We're the third of three in the lot. And the two neighbours, uh, the mums are both called Sharon. And uh, they're, they're, they're both, they're both uh, um, sort, of, um, sort of middle-aged mums as such. And they, uh, we took these plants to them. And it was lovely. Sharon was uh, the Sharon, middle, middle house Sharon was there when we were living there seven years ago. And uh, she had uh, some, some, uh, like some uh, physical problems and uh, has deteriorated to such a stage where she can't get out of bed anymore. So she's bedridden. Um, so we went in there and we gave her these flowers and she just loved us being there. And her comment to, uh, to me was, 
can I still call you Pastor Pete? I'm like, wow, I haven't spoken to this lady for seven or eight years. Can I still call you Pastor Pete? And I said, well, you can call him. Slara goes, no, you've got to call him Rev now. I'm like, no, don't do that. We don't have to be Rev. <laughs> uh, but it was wonderful. And, and she really appreciated the fact that we'd wandered into her house and stood beside the whole family. So there's five of us. It's not a massive house. And we all wandered in. And um, she loved seeing the kids. And she loved meeting Kyra because she hadn't been able to do that. She used to come out and stand on the veranda and, and smoke. So we used to have a lot of, a lot of uh, chats with her then. But um, it was wonderful to go in and see her. Then we went up to the, the top house. And Sharon then, we knocked on the door and we got greeted with this massive dog. And Kyra was freaking out. And it was just a, we're like, oh no, this is not going so well. And, um, and anyway, uh, the the daughter comes to the door and says, what do you want? And I gave her the flowers. Can you pass that on to Sharon? And Sharon sort of poked her head around the corner and said, thank you. And so, all right, well, that's, that's, that'll do. That's right. Anyway, last week, last week we get a knock on the door. It's quite late at night. We get a knock on the door and we're not expecting anyone. And we open the door and it's, it's, it's top house Sharon. So the, the first house Sharon. And she comes back with a, with a card that she's made, this beautiful card. She makes cards, a beautiful, beautiful card. And she, she comes in and, and says how, how grateful she was for us as a family coming to her door and being a part of, of that Mother's Day for her. Well, we hardly saw her. We saw her face and sort of waved at the distance. But she appreciated that so much that she wandered down to our house and stopped. And, said, and so Solari's going to be catching up with her um, at some stage. She's going to go into her house and have a, a cup of tea and coffee with her. And it was just a, a real blessing to see how we've been praying for our neighbours for the last um, sort of five, six weeks. And God's opening up some opportunities just to connect. Um, and we, we are trusting that God will continue to do so. So that's pretty cool. And it's nothing to do with Solari and myself. That's not to sort of big us up. It's nothing to do with Solari and myself and what we're doing. Solari is pretty amazing, but it's nothing to do with us. Um, we don't have this shiny light on our house saying, come down and see us. We want to shout, tell you about Jesus. We don't have anything like that. But God was doing something as we started to pray, um, started to pray for opportunities just to connect with our neighbours, and God started to open those um, points up. And we are just saying, all right, Lord, if you're doing it, we'll engage. That's what we'll do. We'll engage. God's at work. And God's at work in your neighbourhood. God's at work in your um, workplace. God's at work in your school, in your universities. God's already doing things. The mission of God is already active, whether we engage with it or not. But we are saying, let's make it a, a rhythm that we engage with the mission of God that is already happening in the hearts of those that we make contact. There are people in your life that don't know Jesus, but they want to know why you are the way you are. They want to know the slight difference in you, that they go, I'm interested, I'm intrigued. So as we begin, as we continue this uh, rhythm of mission, we'll start to see God open up these opportunities and we'll start to grasp them in really tangible ways. So this morning, you've probably come to church ready for a mouth-watering sermon, hearts ready to feed on the Word of God and have the feast of goodness that is coming your way. And that's what we're going to do. Well, for one family in particular, we're going to eat. <laughs> There's a movement at the moment calling it called Reclaim the Table. It's probably going to be going for a little while, but Reclaim the Table. And it's all about bringing back the, the table as the centre point of the family space. Reclaiming the importance of, of the table as a nucleus of family. There's something special when the family sits around the meal table. Firstly, it's, it's less rushed, isn't it? Anytime you sit around the meal table, it's a less rushed thing. I won't say it's not totally not rushed, but it's less rushed. 
There are times in our meal table where the, the dinner is scoffed down really, really quickly because uh, we have to get to the next uh, basketball uh, uh, lesson or, or it might be because we've got a meeting or something. So we get down and the questions that we ask, uh, how's your day or uh, what's the favourite thing in your day, get really succinct. All right, you need to say it in three words and it becomes really succinct. But, but there are other times where you just have to stop. But the reality is, regardless of how rushed or not rushed it is, you're stopping for that moment, to sit with other people that you can connect with on a different level to how you've been through the whole day. That's the reality of what the table does. It's a time where you can appreciate having a meal with those that you love, or even if you're having a, a meal on your own. And I actually appreciate this at times, um, when if Solari and the kids are, are out for the night and I've got the house to myself, I'll cook up a steak. I love cooking up a steak. I'll always cook up a steak and, and a whole lot of veg, and I'll just sit down at the table by myself and just go, and just have some space. There's something special about the table. So, um, so uh, one part of the table that's important is eating. It's not much good having and not eating. So I've, I've prepared, or not myself, Jasper and Alyssa and I, we prepared a, a, a feast this morning, a, a table feast. So for one lucky family, we're going to invite you up to, to have a feast this morning, to share the table now, I've, I've chosen reasonably randomly, but I'm wondering if the Haywards would like to come up and share the feast this morning. Come on. And not just, not just Mark and Jody. Come on, is Ben there? Oh, I've been out doing, doing Sunday school, is he? Oh, Sumo as well. Oh, two out there. Well, yeah, let's, who, who are your adopted children for today? You've got two other, two other adopted children. Yeah. All right. All right. Well, come today. Today you get to feast on the table. Um, there's some some good food, and and so utilize this space. Don't be too loud, if if possible, because because I'll. I'll but, but start on the you can start wherever you like. It's your table to feast on. I didn't put the candles on because I had a bad experience with fire in my last church, um, so I didn't put the candles on. So, uh, but I just want you guys to enjoy the table, the space of the table. What a gentleman. What a gentleman. Um, enjoy the space of the table. Did I get too many chairs? Oh, that's for me, obviously. No. For, you leave one for Jesus, don't you? Caleb, can you take that top off, please? Because <laughs> we can't have that at the table. <laughs> We're a fairly open table, except for the, the footy. Except for the footy. So, so do that. Enjoy. Enjoy. The ta- just dig on in and enjoy it. I'll put the flowers on the other side, Jordan, so you're not in the way. But you guys enjoy and just take your time. I'll, 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 if you need more time, I'll extend the sermon as much as you want. <laughs> so you can just take and eat. And we'll all watch longingly, but remembering that the table is a really important space for community to grow. And isn't it great? Not all the kids are, are, are Mark and Jody's, but to enjoy having other people at the table with you. It's a really good space, isn't it? Um, all right, so, so let's come back to what we're actually talking about. Sort of ignore them, allow them to, to enjoy their spaces. <laughs> has anyone come across competitive eating? We're not going to ask them to do it today, but has anyone come across competitive eating? Yeah, yeah, it's, it's pretty big apparently in America. They, they eat lots of hot dogs at once or they eat lots of hamburgers at once and um, it's, it's an interesting sort of thing. One lady in Melbourne broke the record for the amount of wontons that she ate uh, within a certain amount of time. In eight minutes, she ate 175 wontons. That's a wonton. 
a little, looks like a brain, a little bit, I suppose. <laughs> Imagine that, that's nearly one nearly every two and a half seconds. Don't go out and do that today. It can't be good for the indigestion. The hot dog eating champion of the world is Joey Chestnut. This is Joey Chestnut, and he has a really big mouth, um, and he's a professional eater now. He started off as a construction worker, but now he earns a lot more money eating. He earns himself $200,000 a year eating. And the bizarre thing is, these guys, they eat and eat and eat, but they're not big people. They're not big. They, they work out. It's like doing all the weight. They've got to get rid of it as well. And they drink ridiculous amounts of water and they open up this. It's just incredible. I did a fair bit of research on professional eating this year, this week. <laughs> and so if you're not enjoying your job, just, just uh, start training professional eater. There you go. Um, it's a little weird, isn't it? But he, um, you've got the next slide. This is, uh, this is him. It's not, it's not the most glamorous of... Uh, of uh, jobs though, um, but that's it. It's a little bit weird really. Um, but we all need to eat. We all have that space that we actually need to eat. We need to have food to give us energy to sustain what we do, our lives I suppose, and that's, that's very true. Um, the table for, for my family was a space where we would gather to eat, not all the time, but some, most, uh, sometimes we'd, we'd, uh, in my, my family would eat, my brother and my mum and dad. And, but it was a place that we also spoke a lot around, um, even when we weren't eating. It was sort of central to the kitchen, so we'd always be sitting near it or with it. It was a space where all the letters and all the junk mail uh, accumulated, and once a week we'd have this big sweep of all the stuff that had ended up on the table. But it was a place where we played games as well, so we'd always have some sort of toasted sandwiches and games on a Sunday afternoon, and it was just that wonderful space and memories of being at the table as a family. If we go back to our scriptures that we read this morning, I wonder when you think of Jesus' life, is, it, is feeding or eating at the table, is it, is it the thing that comes first to your mind when we think about Jesus? We might say, well, the miracles might be, or, or teaching, or his teaching might be, or the walking on the water, or, or, or perhaps the dying on the cross and raising again, some really important parts of Jesus' life. Yet there are so many times that Scripture actually writes down or records feeding moments, table moments. And if we think about that, it must have been an important space because they were feeding at a table whether it was with his disciples and he used it to teach a point, or whether it was feeding a crowd with nothing more than a few loaves and fish, or whether it was eating with so-called sinners. Looking at Jesus and the table can actually give us some insight into the blessing that he was to those who he ate with. So Matthew in his gospel shares a story about himself. So Matthew who wrote the gospel shares a story about his call to follow. And we heard from Pat in Matthew chapter 9, and it's a great story, that Jesus calls this tax collector and then goes and eats with him and his friends, while the religious leaders, those who should have known better, sort of scoff and look down on him. In Jesus' day, a tax collector, well, they were considered, I suppose, the scum of the earth. The tax collectors were not liked because they were the ones who were, I suppose, the, the lackeys for the Roman Empire. They did the Roman Empire's dirty work for them. They had to go out and they collected the tax from uh, all, the, all the Jewish people. 
But on top of just collecting the tax, and there were plenty of taxes that they had to collect. It wasn't just a GST. It was many different taxes, taxes on whether, when you came into the country, when you came out of the state, when you, if, you had, um, uh, if you grew vegetables, all, all these different types of taxes. So they were getting taxed a lot. But to earn their own wage, the tax collector would just add a little bit on. Add a little bit on. So you might owe uh, $50, $50 worth of tax, but they would just take a little bit more. Give me 60 give me 80 And they just add on and fill their pockets with the, with the taxpayer's money. And, uh, and, and so they weren't liked by the Jewish people at all. They weren't liked at all. They were fleecing people from their own money. And they were considered corrupt traitors. They weren't well-liked in Jewish circles. So when Jesus walks past one of these not-well-liked, despised people, and he looked down upon them, uh, that people looked down upon, he says, hey, come and follow me. Be my disciple. That's really quite shocking in the context of their situation. And the first, if you notice, the first thing that Jesus did after he called his disciple... He took him to the synagogue and started teaching him uh, uh, Jesus 101, and then he started to, to uh, give him some, some input into knowing how to, how to share Jesus with other friends. And he didn't do any of that, did he? He went straight to his house and ate. He went straight to his house and ate. He had a meal with a tax collector, but not only with the tax collector, but with all these other people, his friend, the tax collector's friends, that were referred to as sinners. See, in Jesus' day, the term sinner was, was a derogatory term for those who were labelled as doing something that wasn't good or who weren't religious like the Pharisees, who were involved in anything that was a little bit looked down upon. So you got these sort of a bit of a ragtag bunch of people at this house with this tax collector, and Jesus is sitting and having a meal. Jesus, the esteemed rabbi, been wowing people with his teaching, with his miracles, now eating with those who are considered least of the society around a table. And it was just too much for the pompous religious leaders to handle. They just couldn't handle it. It was a front-page scandal. Now, we have to understand why that was so, such a scandal, because we've got to get into the culture. See, eating in the culture of uh, Jesus' time was central to life. If you're eating together like... You stopped eating. Oh, <laughs> oh okay. Keep, keep on eating. Oh, oh, wonderful. Thank you. I'll go for dessert as well. Thanks for that. That's good. Except I'm going to put this in my mouth. I'm, I'm going to struggle, but I'll put that one there for later. Um, eating was central to life. As you ate... It showed the value of the people that you were eating with. When you ate together, it wasn't just something you did on the run because you had to scoff down a, a burger as you went. It was actually something that showed a value that the family unit was together or the people that you invited into your house. You had a great and high value on those people. They didn't have a microwave. They didn't have your Maccas on the corner that you can just drive through and keep on rolling as you went through. They had to cook and they had to sit down and they had to eat. They had to do it. It was done. Um, it wasn't just a part of routine. It was something very culturally important. So eating for the people of, of Jesus' time was a central focus. And it was say, saying a statement towards the person that you were eating with. 
It said to everyone that saw you eating with those people, it said, you hold them in high value. You want to be associated with that person. By eating with someone, you are affirming the worth and the value of that person that you are eating with. A public statement, I suppose, about who you valued, who you loved, and who you cared for. So Jesus, having food with Matthew, a tax collector, and his sinner friends, communicated a lot as he ate with them, the outcast and despised. And the Pharisees say, see, I reckon Jesus would have made sure of that. I reckon Jesus would have said, um, see, hey, follow me, see what I'm going to do next. And they see. And the Pharisees are not impressed, and they ask the question, not of Jesus, they ask of his disciples. So these people that have been following him around, they ask his disciples, why does your teacher eat with tax collectors and sinners? I wonder what the disciples were thinking at that moment. They haven't been around Jesus all that long at this stage. I wonder what they were thinking at this moment. I wonder what their response would have been. We don't get to hear their response, but I wonder what they were thinking. I wonder if they were standing there thinking, Jesus, uh, why are you doing this? Jesus, uh, why don't you come and eat with us? What are you doing? We don't get to hear the answer. We don't know whether they would have said to the Pharisees, no, Jesus has a love for all people. We don't know. I hope they would have. But maybe Jesus wasn't sure where they were at because he overheard the question and understood what they were getting at. So Jesus jumps in and answers on their behalf. It's not the healthy who need a doctor, it's the sick. It's not the healthy who need a doctor. It's important to know Jesus was saying that they weren't saying, hey, Pharisees, you're healthy. Good people, you don't need a doctor. And I'm going to eat with the messed up ones so that I can just make them better. Jesus, rather, is having this dig at the Pharisees because they just didn't get it. So he continues on and he follows up with a statement straight out of the Old Testament from Hosea 6.6. The Pharisees probably would have known this and he says, I desire mercy, not sacrifice, for I have not come to call the righteous, but sinners. Jesus used the Pharisees' words straight back on them and, and, and he's saying to these religious leaders, hey, you, you know what God desires the most? He desires mercy. You don't live that out. That's what he's saying to them. You see, the words that Hosea prophet spoke to the people of God, he spoke them because they'd become so good at how to look spiritual. They'd become so good at religious practices. Yet at the same time, they neglected their poor neighbours, they rejected the vulnerable and the marginalised people of society. That's what happened. That's why Hosea said these words through God. And Jesus draws on this and he gives it to the Pharisees. This is the stuff you need to remember. This is the important stuff. You're the ones who need the doctor. See, Jesus, in eating with those who are outcast and despised in their society, shows a value and worth to all people. You know, there's, there's heaps of other places in Scripture where Jesus eats with people of all needs. His first miracle was at a wedding feast where there was a need for the, from the, um, the, 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 the host of the, of, the, of the feast to have more wine they didn't have. Shame might have been on that family, yet Jesus saved him. In eating with others, Jesus demonstrates the blessing of God on the lives of the people that he ate with. Not just because of the food that he ate, but because of the value and the virtue that came with eating with Jesus. So we're reminded of the important uh, importance also of the very last meal that he had. 
where Jesus shared the intimacy of the Passover meal with those who were closest with him. And we still remember that meal once a, once a month together. You see, for Jesus, the meal was more than just about sustaining uh, health and the nature of, of food in, in a sustaining basis. For, for Jesus, food was mission. Jesus was a, a missional eater. I reckon we could all become missional leaders. What do you reckon? I reckon you guys are doing a pretty good job of that so far. (laughs) For us to be a blessing, we need to continue deepening relationships with those around us. We must work at developing relationships that move beyond just a small talk around the office photocopier or or over the counter at the local store. We must continue to deepen ways of, of engaging with others. And one of the most effective ways... And pretty simple ways, really, is to eat with people. Uh, Simon Carey Holt, he's a pastor at Collins Street Baptist, just in Melbourne. He's written a book. He was a chef, and he wrote a book called Eating Spiritually. Eating Heaven. Eating Heaven, it's called. Spirituality at the Table. And he says this in the start of his book. He says this. As I had thought to myself so many times before, eating is never just about the food. More often than not, eating is the lubricant that makes so many other things possible. It's the beginning point of mission. Alan Hirsch, in his book Right Here, Right Now, says a similar type of thing. He says, sharing meals together on a regular basis is one of the most sacred practices we can engage in as believers. Missional hospitality is a tremendous opportunity to extend the kingdom of God. If every Christian household regularly invited a stranger into their home for a meal once a week, we would literally change the world by eating. Imagine that. We would literally change the world by eating. A few weeks ago, uh, it might have even been last week, the week just goes so quickly, Jeanette and I went to a conference at Crossway Baptist Church. Was it last week? I don't know. It was just the week before. Okay. One of the things that really stood out to me, and, and we've ch- chatted about this was um, this understanding that we already have people in our lives who they called people of peace. And people who, um, who already like us, who listen to us, and who already serve us. We have people like that. And as you think about the, the people in your lives, you might have people like that that maybe don't know Jesus, but already are like that. And as I thought about um, the uh, people of peace in my life, I thought, you know, they're the people I do eat with. They're the people that I have a meal with or have coffee with all the time. And they're the people that I thought, actually, eating and chatting hasn't been weird. It hasn't been uncomfortable. Let me tell you about Baz. Baz is my friend. He puts a smile on my face all the time. I just think about him. He puts a smile on my face. One of the funniest nights of my life was with Baz. And we went and, uh, (laughs) and you know, the um, Ninja Warrior show? Uh, it was in Spotswood uh, over on the other side of town. And we, I took Baz. Baz and I went to Ninja Warrior. And it was, we were up until like 4 o'clock in the morning because they wouldn't let us leave. And we were, we, it was like a non-stop laugh the whole night. It was one of the funniest nights of my life. And it will be a, a highlight of my life. He's, a, he's a, a, a British guy, but he's also got Indian background. And he just loves a joke. He loves a laugh. And he'd bring his daughter to playgroup at Newport. And we just connected and got along really well. So one day I thought, well, why don't I ask Baz whether he wants to catch up and just grab a coffee? And sure enough, he said, sure, I will. So we started having regular coffees, and we had good laughs. But what that turned to was chats about 
tell me about how you're going as a family. They had um, a new baby and the, uh, Tanya, his wife, wasn't going so well. So tell me about that. So he started talking about struggles of life. He started talking about his work struggles. And I shared about what faith looked like for me and how, my struggle, how, I, how I resolved some of my struggles. They were always really open conversations. And they always ended up with making sure we'd make another time for a coffee. Did Baz like me? Yeah, he liked me. Did Baz listen to me? Yeah, he listened to me and I listened to him. Did Baz serve me? He did anything that, he, that I asked him. Not that I used him as, a, as, a, as sort of someone like that, but he would just say, Pete, can I help you so we can go out and get our coffee? Because we'd have to clean up the hall just to get ready. Baz was a person of peace for me. And we ate regularly. We deepened relationship through the action of meeting together over the table, almost weekly, always with food, always with coffee. And I want you to think about whether there's a person of peace in your life, someone that maybe uh, is in your life already that, that you can think of that, I could, I, could, I could ask that person for a coffee. I could ask that person for a meal. Imagine inviting those people of peace to eat with you around the table, with your family. Do you reckon they'd say no? I don't reckon they would. Would they say no to coming out for a coffee? Not many people do. <laughs> See, this is the space I believe we can make a massive impact for the kingdom of God, right where we are. I'm not suggesting we make a program out of this, that we say, all right, at Tuesday afternoon at 3 o'clock, everyone bring their people a piece here. I'm going to have a whole lot of tables, and we're going to set... On... We don't want to do that. It's not a program. Rather, it's your missional rhythm that sets a light to find those people a piece and say, hey, can we catch up? Let's have a meal together. Come to my house. Or if you're in the workplace... Hey, instead of just sitting around the table reading the newspaper at lunchtime, why don't we just go for a walk down the, the local Chinese and get their, their $5 lunchbox together? Because eating opens up the possibilities for the enhancement of the kingdom of God. Eating goes beyond the nutritional value and it adds to, to our, our social, our physical, our emotional space as well, doesn't it? Because when we see Jesus eating with others, he shows value to the people he's eaten with. And who you share a meal with shows value to that person as well. Now you might be thinking, that's great, Pete. I don't have time to make meals for all my people of peace in my life, or my friends, or all those sort of people. I just don't have time. I can barely make a meal for myself. And I hear that. We can make those excuses. We can have those spaces. But I want to give you three things uh, why we should never say no, I suppose. The first one is, I don't have time. Now, it's, it's, not, a, it's not a great excuse because if you have time to eat, you've got time to have someone to eat with. If you haven't got time to eat, you need to reassess your, your priorities because we need to eat and we need to be healthy. It might, might be the case that one or two times a week that you can't get to the table because you've got kids or you've got something happening in life, and that's fair enough. But if you, stop, if you don't get to stop and eat on a regular basis, re, re, reassess your priorities and then think about how you can get others to the table as well. But you might say, I have not got the, the gift of hospitality. Maybe I can't do this hospitality thing. There's people that are much better at that and they should be the ones that are doing this. 
If you can't cook, get the Thai place down the road to cook for you. They cook a good meal. Order it. Spoil the people that have come for dinner or take them out for dinner. We've done this because at times our house just hasn't looked appropriate to invite people in. And we said, no, don't come to our house. Let's, uh, let's go to someone else, somewhere else. That sort of thing. <laughs> if budget's an issue, set up a picnic. Sandwiches out in the, in the, uh, in the park. Great way to, to, to meet with people. Hospitality, the gift of hospitality, some people do have and are wonderful at it. But we can all eat with people regardless. The third thing is, well, I'm uncomfortable in the conversation with people I don't know so well. That's why I say talk about the person of peace, because you get to know them well anyway. But if that's a, re- a reality for you and you, you, you're scared of the conversation or that the conversation will go flat or that you, you're worried that all of a sudden there'll be a lull, and what do I say? I think we need to be trusting that God's already doing something in that space. That we've got to be trusting that God's called us to be a blessing. And if we've been praying for the people of, of peace in our lives, or we've been praying for our neighbours, or whatever that might be, if we've taken the plunge to, to listen to God, that God's led us to these people to say, let's have a meal together, we've got to trust that God will give us a conversation that'll be fruitful and edifying as well. We've got to trust that God is doing something in that. And then there's some, some good questions that you can ask. Ask open-ended questions of people. Tell me, what was the, the best part of your week? They can't go yes or no on that. <laughs> They've got to find a, a space. Tell me, what's been the hardest part of your week? What have you, what's challenged you this week? How have you grown this week? Open-ended questions that help you to allow that conversation to flow, and all of a sudden you'll find that there's something common that you can engage with. So eating's not a hard task. Eating's not a hard task. We all do it, and most of us do it pretty well. There's still plenty of uh, things on the table. These guys aren't doing it as well. Well, you can. Yeah, beautiful. That's really good. Well, first in, best served, I suppose. (laughs) Um, So, um, but it it does speak volumes to the the people that we're sharing a meal with. To close, I want to draw on three really, really quick stories that Jesus tells in Luke 15. Three stories of something lost. The lost coin, the lost sheep, and the lost son. And in each story, something precious was missing. First of all, we had a, a sheep who was lost, and the, the shepherd goes and finds them. We had a coin that was lost, and they find it. And then we have the son that had gone out, and in the end, finds it as well. And the prodigal son. And at the end, we hear of the feast that happens with this son that's come home. They're all celebrations of the lost being found. And it stems, these stories stem from the same question that Jesus answers on the disciples' behalf in chapter 9. In Luke 15, 12, before Jesus talks about the story of the sheep, the coins, and the son, he says this. Uh, the Pharisees mumble. The Pharisees say this. This fellow welcomes sinners and eats with them. You see, Jesus doesn't just welcome the lost and take them into the synagogue. He might have thought, oh, they'll meet the Pharisees there, that's no good. (laughs) Rather, Jesus stops and eats with them. He he responds to the Pharisees by saying, I'll find the lost, and I'm going to save them. His eating with them was an expression of love and acceptance of those who are lost and in need of a saviour. And he shares three stories of the things that are lost and that are now found. I wonder if we're willing to eat with the people of peace that need to know Jesus still. So we've got a challenge for you this week. I've set out challenges each week, and this week is no different. A challenge. So keep praying.
for your neighbours. Pray for your five closest neighbours, the people around you. Keep listening to God, and as you converse with people, make sure you're actively listening. But thirdly this week, actively seek out a person of peace in your life and invite them in some way, shape or form to a meal. It might just be a coffee at the local cafe, or it might be a meal in your home. But take that bold step, trusting that God is leading you to that person to eat with. You reckon you could do that? I reckon you can do that. You know, I want to start hearing some of these stories as well, because I know there are stories out there as well. I know there's stories we, um, David opened up in the morning, uh, this morning to, to say, let's share some of the stories of blessing. And we haven't heard a heap of the stories. But I want to give opportunity for people to share some stories as well. Because as we share stories, we're encouraged by those stories to, to, to step out in our own space in the faith as well. Um, so I'd love to compile some of those stories. And they don't have to be uh, gathering stories for the sake of bringing them up and sharing them with others, because uh, I understand that. But it's great to encourage one another. So I've set up a, a KSBC Blessed Facebook page, because I know we, we love Facebook pages. We've got a, a gazillion of them at the moment. But there's one that's KSBC Blessed. So if you're on Facebook and you have got me as your friend on Facebook, I haven't got everyone as a friend, but if you've got me as a friend on Facebook, I've, I've added you in so you can see that. And you can start sharing the stories of, of how this rhythm of mission has been going for you. Uh, if you have Facebook and you're not connected with me, but you connect with someone else, I've said just open it up to anyone in the church so that we can share stories together. If you don't have Facebook, that's all right. You can put uh, an email through to me, peter.nielsen at ksbc.org.au. Make sure you get the I before E, not except after C, so I before E. And I've got an E in at the end, not an O-N. If you get it to the O-N, you'll probably get it to another Peter Nielsen, not a Nielsen. So make sure you've got that. Um, also, I like letters. Write me a letter. There's a, there's a pigeonhole box for the senior pastor there. Just write me a letter. Tell me how you're going with this. Um, all of it is great at developing the stories. And a disclaimer, if I, if, if I, if I'm not going to share your story openly unless one I've asked you to, and I'm happy to keep things anonymous as well. But stories help us to engage in different ways, don't they? So keep praying. Keep praying for your five closest neighbours, for the people that you sit around at work. Keep taking time out to listen to God and seek to eat with a person of peace this week. Let's pray. Our loving God, we thank you that you are such a blessing to us and that blessing allows us to be a blessing to others. And I pray that this week, for this congregation, that we seek out a person of peace in our life that we can stop and eat with that loving God we can share a little bit of our lives with and that we can be a blessing as you've already blessed us. Amen.